0: Hello, I'm Simit Bose, I've lost my voice, I'm very sorry, but we had a bit of a Christmas party and uh, I'm recording this the morning after the night before. So welcome to the Net Hero podcast, the last one of the year and what a year it's been. I'll be doing a little kind of catch up of what's happened, but today's topic is all about road safety, self-driving cars and logistics and uh, I'll be chatting to Ian Wainwright a little later, but just before I do that, A couple of things. It's been a difficult year, we all know, because of what's happened with the Ukraine war. And as we end the year, there's still more bloodshed, which is just appalling. But it's also been a year, I think, where we've looked back and many of us have realised the changes that we thought would take years are happening quicker. And I hope, I really hope, the impetus is there for us to do things. You've seen the last week or so snow freezing cold return to coal which isn't the greatest thing but it shows you that we've had to do it because we haven't got the resources we're still burning lots of gas the wind hasn't blown the winter has been dry so these are all things that get you into that mood of knowing that actually net zero is not as easy as we all think that we just shift to renewable energy There's been talk about a breakthrough in fusion energy, but this is another one of those things which sounds great on paper, but it could be many decades before that's there. So at the end of the day, what do you say? You've got to say one thing. We have to take action now, and that means doing the things we can, which is to use less. And I keep going back to all of this through that whole year of the podcast. I know we can't have clean energy right now. I know we have to use other things, but one thing that is in our control is consuming less, using less. And as we head to Christmas, maybe that's something we should all think about. Right, on to the podcast. And uh, really, it's one of those things that I think you either love or you think is completely crazy. Should our roads be for the cars that dry themselves? Now, if you follow me on LinkedIn... I've had dubious thoughts about self-driving cars. It's the big thing that everyone talks about. Autonomous vehicles, you may have heard the phrase, or semi-autonomous. Um, there was a film years ago, actually. It was a terrible film <laughs> by Christophe Lambert called The Fort- Fortress, and it had this kind of truck that was like an AI truck that would sort of run people down. It was I remember it quite hilariously bad. But it had that thing about what would happen if vehicles had intelligence and the argument you've seen it in films like iRobot is everything would move smoother because cars would move at the optimal speed there would be no crashes it would all be safe and then the net zero argument is that if you start doing that when it comes to moving goods and people you reduce the carbon footprint you can have mass uh, logistics that work so things are moving at the times they need to move and you know not having any issues in terms of sitting around burning fuel, carbon dioxide. But is it really the case? Is that really our future? Should we be heading towards a sort of self-driving autonomous way of moving goods and ourselves around? Well, to discuss that on the Net Hero podcast this week, I'm joined by Ian Wainwright, who's Chair of Freight and Logistics Policy at the Group C I L T, so that uh, if you could explain what C I L T is, Ian, that would be great. What does it stand for?
1: Hi, it's um, so it's the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. Um, so logistics is moving stuff, and transport tends to be moving people. Um, so, you're, so you're we, members are who? Um, effectively, we are. It's a professional um members body, so it's individuals working across transport and logistics from. You know, shipping and, and aircraft through to um, sort of active travel and transport planning and all these things. Um, but covers, you know, buses, coaches, trains, um, and freight logistics, so delivery and servicing activity.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what freight is, because I think, you know, we're in the cold snap now when we're recording this and everyone's worried about things being delivered for Christmas and all of that. Yep. And I remember in the pandemic, obviously. You know, bog roll, wow, pasta, they are the big things. Where are they? Yeah. Uh, we've had issues with fuel uh, at the end of last year. People probably forget, but, you know, the whole kind of uh, delivery of fuel and the queues outside petrol stations. What is freight and logistics in this country? Because I suppose we never really think about it until things like this happen, do we?
1: Correct. Um, so freight logistics is basically everything... When i've worked in the past we've talked about people as self-loading freight and it's everything that can't load itself so it's the clothes you're wearing it's the food it's the houses we live in in terms of construction but you know it's everything else that moves um so supply of goods services very often servicing for offices and that type of stuff and the collection of waste so it's it's the stuff we never think about until it goes wrong um, or when there's suddenly some risk or jeopardy involved. Um, but there are thousands of people working in the industry doing it day in, day out, whether that's somebody packing something in an yeah. Amazon warehouse, the driver, yeah. or whoever.
0: How big is it? How big is the sector, is it, for the UK?
1: Um, in terms of total numbers, um I can't remember off the top of my head because I'm not really a numbers person but I would suggest it's you know it's got to be sort of like 10% in terms of employees when you consider people working in you know backer shops or whatever yeah um and basically without freight we've not, we've not got reason to live we've got no clothes we've got no cafe uh, coffee in the cafes we've got no beer in the pubs um you know everything that we see you know we eat consume we wear and we live in is being delivered at some point um, you know, fuel, it, you know, if we get fuel at the garage, yes, it's delivered to the garage, but it's very often, you know, we don't think about it when it's in there. Think about Heathrow, all the fuel. Yes, to the airport, yeah, yeah, I drove past it, it, it the other day. Lines, yeah, the cargo. lines pipelines rather than yeah. loads of lorries. Yeah.
0: You know,
1: there's different ways of moving it, which you can therefore do different amounts of pollution and um, air quality and congestion and all the rest of it. And that's where the big debate comes is where you balance the movement of people and goods. Rather than just thinking, oh, I well, make this place wonderful for
0: people. Yes. Yet that we actually need to be able to deliver some stuff there. <laughs> yes, very true. I mean, I don't think there's. I don't know. You might know better than me, but when I look at the government stats, they haven't broken down freight. They just put it as transport, which I suppose, uh, and and it's sort of twenty five percent of the UK's emissions. So it's very significant. Yeah. I suppose most of that is kind of probably freight, is it rather than us? I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of
1: it's certainly significant in terms of emissions, because basically it's weight, you know, the more weight right. you're moving, the more, you know, the more energy you're going to you take up to use that, you know, to transport that weight. Um, you know, the transition to electric vehicles is already occurring for cars, um, you know, because the battery technology has enabled it, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the batteries were struggling. Um, we've already got, so the big heavy goods vehicles you see on the motorways, um, you know, with an articulated vehicle at the front, and the big long lorries, of even the supermarkets things, I think we've got up to something like a 37 ton electric vehicle already. Um, and there's talk about whether we should go with some sort of, what they call it, catenary system, basically the wires over the top. The simple truth of the matter is, is that, you know, there's maybe, you know, 10, 16% of the traffic is freight. Yeah. um yes it produces something like 27 percent of the um emissions because of the weight um you know it's there's a lot of negative what they call negative externalities so you know road safety <laughs> livability and yeah service. we hate lorries
0: mate that's the trouble oh, we hate being yeah, home, everybody ha- we,
1: everybody mate. hates lorries but a lorry can take probably at least what about 20 vans could carry and yes. probably that one lorry could take about what 40 cargo bikes could carry So the principle is, is getting the right vehicle at the right time of day, in the right place to deliver the right stuff. You know, people like the coffee shops, most of them have overnight deliveries in cities. Nobody ever really notices them. They're in and out. I I suppose that's the thing. Yeah, isn't
0: it? It's one of those things that, as you say, we don't think about it, right? We just, it's like an inconvenience. The the lorries doing overtakes in the middle lane drive you nuts, right? Uh, they're, They're queuing up, all of that you're sitting behind them you can't have it we always think we don't actually think about actually that lorry is probably getting someone some bread or taking yeah
1: because nobody nobody's going to move a vehicle that big that costs that amount to move it for fun they're doing it because they're getting something for it they're getting a profit they're getting paid to do it by a customer um it's like people turn around and say well, some of them are only fifty percent full. And you go, yeah. Well, yeah, if yeah. it's a cement mix, or I would hate to think what would happen if it came back full. Yeah. You know, some yeah. of these things it it's not necessarily efficient for the planet always, but it's certainly efficient for the company. That's where the benefits are coming from companies collaborating with each other and things.
0: You you've been in the industry for many years. Um, how has it changed before we start talking about autonomous vehicles, which is like stay of this this podcast but how has it changed because i assume you know you go back and probably things were quite local maybe 50 60 years ago you know you had a, a van and a factory and they just delivered around yeah. a city or whatever but now you've got drivers from all over europe you've got freight coming in on planes we we you know we can get we can get tangerines we can get avocados you can do what you like because there's this thing, it, is has it become like so enormous that actually looking at it it's difficult to quantify how we've enabled the demands that we have as consumers has grown the freight industry
1: the real change came in the sort of you know 60s 70s 80s with the supermarkets because before that you know your local corner shop you'd have your mr kipling salesman that would go around in their yes, van and then yep. restock the shelves with you know an individual product almost and everybody would purchase meat different from the veg, different from the bread, different from the groceries. Um, I mean, I hate to think um, how old it makes me feel, but Sainsbury's, I remember originally, was um, one counter side was groceries, and the other one was like, you know, deli counters almost of people yeah, sort of yeah. serving. No, when I was
0: a kid, we used to go to the fishmonger, then we'd go to the green grocery, and all. yeah, absolutely.
1: So it, the supermarket proved the retail model of mm. improving the profitability by providing the customer service of everything under one roof. And that's effectively that model and that Mm -hmm. retailer-driven thing, which may have been in some sort of department stores, you know, selfridges of everything under one roof, is now effectively your Amazons of that of this world.
0: And, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We've created a market, and I suppose the freight industry has had to respond to that market, which is we want everything convenient.
1: The classic is sort of, um, you know, as kids, you know, we, what were winter vegetables like? Yeah, you know, you yeah didn't I get know. Everything. You didn't get the, uh, the strawberries and raspberries sort of right. in the middle of winter from South Africa or the Brazilian melons or anything because nobody would have thought to pay for it. So, I mean, uh, talk to some retailers. You know, retailers will say, well, we've got it in our shops because the customers want
0: it. And the customers mm. say, well,
1: I buy it because it's in the shops. <laughs>
0: yeah. Who knows? Who knows? And and I suppose the thing is, the other thing is really, you hit the nail on the head is for us as consumers, delivery, home delivery, right? You know, I, I never grew up with delivery services, right? And I certainly didn't grow up with cabs like Uber, it was a mini cab once in a while. But I'd go to a shop to buy something. Now everyone gets it delivered and I've been guilty myself. And okay, Amazon is saying they've got electric vans. But this way of our behaviour, and it's not just here, I've recently been Uh, You know, talking to my family in India, Amazon is there. In Italy, Amazon is there. It doesn't matter where it is, Amazon or something like that in China, in India, in Brazil, these delivery services, different brands like Deliveroo and all of these, the food, everything is now coming to you, whereas we used to go there. So does that expansion also mean that even if your sector is trying to become more efficient, the, the just the volume of what's being moved means the emissions continue to go up uh
1: basically yes i think because there's only been some because clearly the the explosion in home delivery is really in the last sort of five to seven years and particularly accelerated by the pandemic um there was a lot of talk about you know e-commerce beforehand but a lot of that was things like tickets for you know um airplane tickets and theater yeah. tickets and things yeah. that people would buy online um so Certainly the carbon intensity basically increases because you're you're, you're fracturing the supply chain. So if in, in the past there was a, you know, a pallet of, I don't know, cornflakes delivered to the supermarket, um, you know, so maybe, you know, 80 boxes with 10 in each box, you know, 10 boxes of cornflakes in each box. If you think about that coming to your door... You know, that's all been split down. The classic yeah, yeah. is always the, the thing that you receive, which is the one off that's in a box that's completely the wrong size for it and way too big. Yeah. Um, you know, so there was a lot of transporting of fresh air from some of that stuff and from breaking it down to a customer level. Now, there has been research that's done on well, if somebody drove to a supermarket, what does that compare to a home delivery? And yeah. the home delivery will win every time because they're delivering several providing the you know the, the household then don't take their car out and you know are taking the kids to sort of you know after school classes or something yeah, you know it's yeah, like yeah. it's yeah. enabling what we have to try and do is reduce the amount of transport overall and currently we're probably going the other way and yeah you know yeah. Some, some of the small you know zero emission um vans or cargo bikes you know great in particular areas but they're not going to deliver the hundreds of thousands of tonnes of goods that we consume every year. And we've got to get the balance right. Um, recently, rail has kicked up. Um, you know, Certainly, the supermarkets have been investigating rail for ages, and they're starting to use it a lot more for shorter trips and things. But the UK slightly stymied by where the locations are where you can switch between modes.
0: We've got, I suppose, this brings us on to the, the, the crux of it, is... Our demand, and this is a real tricky one, consumerism, but anyway, we're all there and we're all guilty of it. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. We've created this world where people want things now. So that puts pressure on, as you say, the volume of it. We've seen things like, you know, if you read futurenetzero.com, you'll see stories about uh, VTOL, you know, vertical takeoff landing, sort of hubs for delivery, little kind of drones delivering goods like you said, EV vans, EV bikes, people are talking about human powered bikes to deliver goods in, in in the city of London for the last mile, all of these sort of things. Is the problem really that actually that technology, it sounds great, but you end up with multiple assets or units of these things if we continue doing what we're doing? Because as you said, one lorry carries lots of goods, but we want that lorry to deliver to something and then suddenly won't 50 or 100 drones going off to deliver to us, particularly.
1: Some of it is not because we've created the demand. The retailer has created the demand. They're giving us a promise that they will deliver it quicker than in a sense. So we, a, we almost can't change our mind. But sometimes you think, I didn't need that tomorrow. You know, I, I could have waited. But they don't give you any options to actually slow it down and make it greener in most cases. And where they do you've almost got to go and hunt for it. It's not the default. They also kid us with this free delivery because there's clearly a carbon cost, but there's a road safety cost. There's a congestion cost. There's a handling cost of all these things. And there's some poor mug that's delivering it to you who's getting paid. So that is not free. So we have to get, we have to stop being quite so um, sort of thick as consumers and realise that we're actually paying for it somewhere.
0: Yeah. Um, We're paying for it. We're paying for it. As you say, you know, there there is, there isn't anything free in this world. And you look at the amount of routes that these drivers are doing. And you've got to think that is a lot of energy and carbon being used constantly. Yeah. But for one thing, you know, people get like a packet of, I don't know, a sellotape delivered. I mean, what the hell? You know, people, people get batteries, just a packet of batteries delivered. Yeah. And
1: I mean, and when you think about sort of the additional cost you're paying, I mean, some of the instant delivery companies, 15, mm. no, 10, 50 minute deliveries, just look at the prices of the comparison.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: anyway, um, on the on the vertical takeoff landing the drones thing, it's quite, it, I'm interested because I got involved in a project a little while ago, which is being run, it, it's part for Department for Transport funding through a future transport zone. Yeah. And it's Solent Transport down in the um, south of, south of England. And involved in a project of transporting medical products uh, by drones. So basically drones for medical logistics for um, the NHS. And we've tried looking at chemotherapy. So something that's very much, you know, it's time-critical medicine, it's very much about the healthcare outcomes for the patient, so they don't have to come across from the Isle of Wight to the mainland. Um, and we've done some really good tests on um you know the stability of the, the product to make sure that the medicine is still safe we're trying to find drones that have got the right um weight the wind resistance and the amount of energy you know you need to deal with the winds around the solent and waterproof you know it's like there's a load of things there but the amount of energy you need is probably going to make it uneconomic in most cases Um, And that's what we're looking at is, is there a way of actually doing that that would work for medical reasons? As for transporting pizzas and things,
0: (laughs) I tend to see that more as marketing, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get on to the the crux of where all this is leading us, which is people say the solution is, Ian, autonomous vehicles. Right. Don't have the driver. Don't have that cost. You've got a machine that can be programmed to go from a to b to c to d it knows the best route because it's using sat nav it's using electricity or whatever it's reducing emissions and off we go now you've been giving i don't know if it was you or your organization gave some evidence to government is that right
1: um yep so through the um institute we provided some written evidence to the transport select committee on their mm-hmm. self-driving vehicles inquiry and then I ended up giving the oral evidence because they asked us to come in and answer some
0: questions. So this thing, these you know, autonomous vehicles. I suppose the big thing is, you know, they call it connected and autonomous calves, which is a weird acronym, but Everyone kind of says, oh, this is the future, right? And new cars have bits on them that, you know, you're you're driving a bit wonky, it corrects you and all of that stuff drives you nuts. How safe are these? Because I do worry about taking the human, however, you know, faulty we are as as, as beings, taking the human. What is your view on the safety of these autonomous vehicles?
1: I'm a sort of a, a practical logistics person by background managing warehouses and drivers, and then some stuff on transport policy. I am not a technical person. I'm not an engineer. Um, but my principal understanding with anything that was autonomous was that it had to be at least as safe as a human. The government has um, consulted on it being at least as safe. I think they said as a good human. Effectively, the point being is that if you if we have these things, they have to be safer because mm. that's clearly the benefit. Um, but there's a number of issues there because you've got the sort of security side of safety. If we're reliant on systems, yep. you know, can those yep. systems be hacked and all the rest of it? Of course. Um, within logistics, some of this stuff has been happening. It's effectively a lot of warehouses now, um, rather than relying on a lot of you know humans to move stuff around, doing really menial, boring jobs. They have got in... They're basically shuttle trucks to move things. Yes, around.
0: yeah. I've things have been moving
1: things. in ports yeah. anywhere where there's a closed sort of what we would call a closed loop system. Yeah, seems to have some benefit, providing that you know people are the main priority. But when we get through to the connected bit, it's sort of fine. You know, vehicles not you know not being able to sort of read where everything else is. But if you look at the little starship um, on road or on pavement. Uh, vehicles. There's a lot of PR for at the moment.
0: Mm.
1: Um, these are sort of like little droids. They look quite cute, but they're basically run by six cameras around them. Yes. And what happens when it comes across something, it stops and works out how to move forward. The problem is, in, if you take sort of what happens in a city, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, most people in the UK don't necessarily wait for, for you know, for the green man to cross the road. <laughs> if it's safe or they think it's safe, they'll cross. Yes yeah if you step out in front of an autonomous vehicle knowing full well it's going to stop for you mm. that's going to take away the reliability of that trip mm. and for both buses and for um deliveries the reliability the journey time reliability is the real key to the economics of it so i think there's some issues about where people and these mix and how you do that um if you put them out onto the motorway maybe it would stop everybody sitting in the middle lane um I drove back from Cheshire on Tuesday and basically couldn't cope with all the people who sat in the middle lane because they think it's safer than having to go between lanes. These would at least go between lanes. They'd know where things were. But when the DFT was involved in a trial with heavy goods vehicles with three in a platoon, the fuel saving was about 5%, I think, and they'd been expecting something like 17%. Um, so the fuel saving was a lot less. And clearly, if you've got a number of HGVs driving down a road. How safe is that for everybody else? Yeah. I think the issue will always be what happens if some of these are autonomous and some of them are driven by a human.
0: Yeah, that's the real, that's the big one, isn't it? The mix of human and yep. machine. Because the I machine... That, machine have in a my series, view, that's disaster.
1: The machine may have a series of algorithms about how it's going to fail safe the trouble is the humans don't know what those algorithms are. I'm not even <laughs> sure the engineers do. And we've got to the point where, you know, society becomes so much more inclusive of people with mobility impairment and stuff. No, no, true. Because they're not driven for, you know, they're not designed for anything apart from like standard people to, you know, work right. with them. Yes. You know, I'm six foot five. I'm not exactly a standard size of person. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. I don't, I don't know how you're getting anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, they're coming. I think the question is the engineers will always be extremely positive about the timelines. Um, You know, certainly, you know, you know, through sort of electric vehicles and batteries and things, you know, there's an increasing groundswell to it, but it takes time to get to that point. And I think we've still got some things here that says because the engineers can invent these things, they do. Should, Should they? Yes. But Should they? Yeah. And we don't have those conversations up front, perhaps until it's too late.
0: You've said as an organisation that you think they're coming, but obviously safety is the ultimate thing that you're concerned about. It
1: has to be. I mean, it's the safety of the systems, it's safety of the people and occupants of those vehicles, and it's safety of everybody else around. Um, You know, people, we are our own unique beings and we all do things in very different ways. There's always somebody doing something unexpected. Yeah. You know, yes, these things will rely on sort of um, AI and everything else, but they apparently they to get them to be functioning fully they potentially use more energy than a conventional vehicle
0: and that's the point i'm getting to which is the 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 safety thing absolutely i totally agree with you it's the most important but if we're going to put these things out there are they going to be any more energy efficient because the way i see it they can't be because they have to react with multiple elements of what might happen which humans have just got used to over you know 100 years of driving we know what things are you know i've driven in italy i'd like to see an ai system cope with that so you know particularly it naples
1: yes um, exactly
0: <laughs> I've driven in the south a lot um but you know if you think about this is the idea that autonomous vehicles will help us save energy and cut carbon is that a fallacy in your mind
1: i think that's somebody that's a fallacy yes definitely you know the benefit for autonomous vehicles should be safety 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 um, I'm not convinced that's the bar that the government necessarily is setting. But I don't believe these are about decarbonisation. I think it's just another one of those where we'll give the customer what they want rather than giving them some hard questions. Mm. Um, you know, Somebody's some got to start being truthful and say, we can't have all of these things. We need to re- travel less. Yes. We're going to decarbonise.
0: Do you think that for freight, and this is the one they they've talked about, you know, autonomous trains, things like that, um, I've just come back from Qatar where all the tubes, there's no drivers. It's a bit yep. like the DLR yep. in London, yep. like robot trains. And of course, they work quite well. I didn't see anything saying massive delays, but I don't know how it all works. There's some computer doing it all. Is there an argument that actually, maybe that's the safest way, but even then with trains on rails, you don't know animals, people, level crossings, all of this. I mean, you can't say it's going to stop, can you? You can't say that we shouldn't go down this pathway. Too much is invested by too many people.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, you can't stop the world type stuff. I think it's a question we have to go in with our eyes open, um, and actually say, right. So where's the positive benefit in this? Um, you know, driverless trains, as you say, yes, you could do it on the DLR. You could do it on a couple of the London Underground lines. The point being is that it's it was recognised particularly after the seven um, seven things that effectively having somebody on the train was actually very useful. It makes passengers feel more comfortable. Of course. Potentially, certainly things like the DLR, it, it reduces some of the um, potential sort of people, you know, people riding for free and stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, there's always um, someone on them, yeah.
1: You know, So, so some of these things, the question is, this is trying to satisfy something that the engineers can do. The engineers have developed, you know, SUVs we don't need those to be able to drive from A to B. But what we've done is come up with something that feels bigger and feels safer for the person in it.
0: Yeah.
1: Does that decarbonize? Not in the slightest. The OEMs, the, the equipment manufacturers, just want to sell more vehicles because that's what they're in business for. Fascinating they, things stuff. Things will have some positive use. They will be useful in some areas. Yes. Um, and they may be useful for moving people around who perhaps you know are visually impaired.
0: Yeah.
1: I can't see them being widespread use anytime soon.
0: So flying cars, flying DeLoreans, not not yet.
1: I was going to say, calling them for freight, you know, saying freight first. Freight yeah. first is always the one that everybody likes to experiment with because freight doesn't vote.
0: <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Ian Wainwright, brilliant conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Really enjoyed that. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you very much. Great chat with Ian there. And as I said, Let's all look at this issue because it sounds great. It sounds like, you know, the future iRobot, cars whizzing around by themselves. And I know what we covered there about helping people who are disabled, blind, giving them access to transport is a brilliant thing. But I do worry. I do worry about all this stuff. Um, have a great Christmas. Have a fantastic New Year. The Net Hero Podcast will be back in January. We've got plenty of great topics to cover and as ever if you want to be featured next year get in touch the email is nethero at futurenetzero.com we have some big plans for future net zero next year we've got a big event coming up again in june our big zero show two, which we want you to come to we've got lots more content planned lots more help in helping you transition to net zero so from me from the whole production team and everyone at fnz have a great christmas happy new year see you in 2023
1: you've been listening to the net hero podcast with summit bose from future net zero visit our platform for all things net zero and if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast email net hero at futurenetzero.com follow us on social media futurenetzero.com Better business, better planet.